We are going to continue this morning in our study of the Gospel of John, to which we started, I'm estimating, maybe close to about a year ago, and so we're going to have a good bit of time left in it. I do want to say this, or we're going to be skipping some material that's coming up, because we studied John during the Easter period. So we're going to be skipping a little bit of what John is coming immediately before us, because we did that back uh, last Easter. But we're in chapter 11 this morning. And we're going to be picking up with verse, uh, verse 17 and studying through, or, uh, oh, no, 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 we're starting chapter 11 this morning, I'm sorry. Uh, and we're going to be studying from verses 1 through 27. So let me read. Uh, now, as a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Martha and her sister Mary. It was uh, Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. And when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, Let us go to Judea again. Disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews are just now seeking to stone you, and you're going there again. And Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the light, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus was already in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, he shall, uh, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ the Son of God who is coming into uh, the world. You probably know something of Bethany. It was a village on the Mount of Olives, uh, about two miles west of Jerusalem. 
Uh, it was elevated enough. They say that the, the apex is about 200 feet, so you could actually stand on the, the, the Mount of Olives and, in essence, look down upon the city of Jerusalem and see the temple complex. Uh, it's the very site where Jesus, when he, he gives the Olivet Discourse to the disciples, uh, later on, that they are there on uh, Mount Olivet once again. And we know that the, uh, the, the Garden of Gethsemane was on Olivet, and so... Uh, and that was where Jesus was arrested and then carried into uh, Jerusalem. So we understand that Olivet is, the Mount of Olives is a very important site uh, here, especially near the, the ending of the worldly ministry of, of Christ. But Bethany was a, a small, small village there. It literally means house of dates or figs. And it's really kind of weird that it's called the Mount of Olives because you would expect it to be covered with olive trees. But evidently, there was also a, uh, a presence of dates or figs there. Uh, but a very important site uh, for uh, the ministry of Jesus, in particular as the days of Jesus' earthly ministry uh, come more to uh, a close. Well, Jesus and the disciples had just recently been in Judea. Now they've re probably returned back to Galilee, or at least they're headed in that direction. And the word comes to Jesus uh, from Martha and Mary that Lazarus, uh, the one that uh, Jesus knows very well and loves very much, has become ill. And they plead with him to come. And obviously their hope is this, is that Jesus will in fact come and as he comes and he will actually bring healing to Lazarus. They have no doubt that that is a definite possibility. They knew that if anyone could heal their brother that it would be, uh, be Jesus and Jesus only. I would imagine that they have exhausted pretty much every means that they have at this point to heal him. And I think there's some things that we need to, to kind of glean from this. And one of those is we need to understand something. That God is at work in absolutely everything in our life. Those things that appear to be very good to us on the outside, but at the same time, those things which are very hurtful in a sense to us, are very worrisome, are very bothersome. We know that everything that is part of our life at, at, at this particular point and everything that has been part of our life and everything that will be part of our life is God acting in us, in our life, in our circumstances. There's never a time when we are outside his authority and his guidance and his blessing. What I'm telling you here is this, is everything that happens in your life is part of God's plan for you. Even the things that are not great and good. God has a purpose in absolutely everything. God had a purpose in this whole business with Lazarus. 
As a matter of fact, this whole thing with Lazarus is working out according to God's perfect plan for him and for the early church and for the ministry of Jesus. Lazarus is ill and will die because God foreordained that it would happen just as it does. And always for a purpose, and at least part of the purpose is always for his own glory. I mean, God is really giving Lazarus a great honor in being a part of this whole picture. Because in the end, his life and his resurrection will glorify God in a, in a wonderful and magnificent way. Some interesting things here is that once Jesus heard about this illness, he actually lingered in where he was, probably in Galilee by this time, for two more days. He didn't drop what he was doing. He didn't just immediately head down the road. He didn't run all the way back. He took his time. Obviously, for a reason. He was waiting for Lazarus to die. He knew that he would. He knew that it was part of the Father's plan. He does notify the disciples of what's going on. But by the time he enlightens them to Lazarus' plight, he's actually, Jesus says, has fallen asleep. But he also told them this. But I go to awaken him. You can imagine that Jesus is really grieving in his heart, in particular right now for Martha and Mary, that they've had to go through this, the sickness and the, and the dying of their brother, and all that that entails. I would imagine that Jesus is spending those two times, those two days, in a great deal of prayer, constant thoughts, and best wishes. For those two sisters and all the other people that love Lazarus so much. But initially Jesus tells the disciples that, uh, that Lazarus has fallen asleep. I mean, they're confused about it. And that is, well, if he's fallen asleep, then why doesn't someone just wake him up? He's, he's overslept. You can understand their plight. Uh, we might have come to the same conclusion under the same circumstances ourselves. But then Jesus says, matter-of-factly, Lazarus is not only sleeping, Lazarus has died. And the next of what Jesus says is very important, not only for the disciples to hear, but also for you and I to hear. Lazarus has died, and for your sakes, I am glad that I was not there. 
In other words, those disciples that Jesus is talking to are going to benefit in some way from the, what's happened with Lazarus. They're going to be strengthened. They're going to be encouraged in their own faith as a result of what has gone on in the life of their brother. And I just want to bring this to light this morning. This is one of the main points I want to bring to light for each one of us this morning. And that is this, that our salvation is never, ever, ever exclusively for our own benefit. That God's intention in our salvation always is that we would be a benefit to other people. That through what goes in all, on in our heart, in our life, and the transformation that we undergo, that it would serve as, as an encouragement to other people to be strong in their own faith. You know, there are a lot of people who believe that my, my faith is mine. It's a very, very private thing between me and God, and it really is nobody else's business, and you know, this, that, and the other. But I'm telling you, that is just not biblical. That God has saved you not only for yourself, but he saved you for the benefit of other people. And that's true for all of us. Every one of us. That's why we cannot be ingrown as Christians. It's why we have to be witnesses to the unbelieving world around us. Because you and I have seen the glory of God in lots of ways that other people just simply have not. I mean, I realize that the concept of resurrection is, is, is rooted in the Old Testament. Not so many resurrections in the Old Testament, but Elijah and Elisha both were involved in God raising people from the dead. We're going to find as we continue studying through the Gospels that there are a few more of resurrections that take place at the hand of Jesus. And we know that Eutychus, that young man, would be raised from the dead in Troas by Paul some, some years later. So resurrection is all through the history of redemption. Some people may, may struggle with the question, why did Jesus linger for two days? Why was it that he didn't leave immediately? He wanted to. He was very much tempted to. His desire was to do that. But he knew by lingering like he did that far greater benefit would fall upon everyone in this picture. But why did he wait? Because it was like it was four days be between the time that he first heard about Lazarus and the time he actually entered into Bethany. Why? Well, I think sometimes understanding some of the common beliefs of the day are very helpful to us. The rabbinic teaching on 
dying basically said this, that when, when a person dies, their spirit lingers over the body for three days, at which time that spirit can enter back into the body and that person be revived. But after three days' time, the spirit left, and, and the body was beyond any hope at all of ever being resurrected. Now, is that why Jesus stood away, stood, stayed away as long as he did? Perhaps. That's a, that's a, certainly is a reasonable possible explanation of why he didn't come back immediately. Because when he raised Lazarus from the dead... On that fourth day, no one would be able to attribute this to this rabbinic teaching. They would have to acknowledge and know that a bona fide miracle had taken place. I want to remind us uh, this morning that, uh, that, that we will all, unless we happen to be living at the time that Christ returns, we will all experience what resurrection feels like on a very personal level. We understand that when Jesus returns, that everyone that has died, whether they be believing or unbelieving, every person that has ever lived in history, their body will be resurrected from the dead. But we also understand this, that only those who know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior will be raised from the dead into the glory of God. And all the others suffer God's judgment so resurrection is something that the Bible talks about a great deal mostly the, the, the New Testament but also the Old Testament now we can understand why Martha and Mary are distraught They're not only distraught about their, their brother's passing, but they're disappointed in Christ. He hasn't, he hasn't come, even though they sent word for him to come. Martha, when she comes to Jesus, she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. In other words, what she's saying to him is this, is my brother died because it's, it's you. It's your fault my brother died. Well, you can read the statement in a couple of ways. Is it an accusation against Martha? Is she really accusing Jesus of being, in essence, the cause of all of this tragedy? And there's another way of, of reading it all together and... and and, and I think what follows indicates that, that if we think the first, we're, we're sadly mistaken. 
Now, what she's doing here is she's making a statement of confidence in the power of Jesus to heal even those who would otherwise die and even those who are already dead. She knows that Jesus, because of the power of God that abides in him, is fully capable even now of raising her, her brother from death. In other words, she's expressing her real confidence in God that knowing that even though the circumstances are as they are now, that God can nonetheless breathe life back into her brother's dead body. Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. Now, what's he talking about there? Is he talking about the resurrection that's going to take place on the last day that we've alluded to already, that he's already taught to his disciples and other people? Or is he alluding to the fact that he's about to raise Martha's brother from the dead? And I think probably it's very clearly the second. He's about to literally raise her brother, her brother's dead, cold body back to life again. And Jesus makes this astounding statement. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. See, there are people who will never, ever experience physical death. Our fellow believers who will be living at the time of Christ's second coming. They won't die and they won't be resurrected. They'll be made anew, perfected in every way. And on that day of resurrection, Jesus will say to those who are his, come and inherit the kingdom prepared for you. But to everyone else, he will say, depart from me, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And only two options. There's no in-between, no, no middle ground. It's either one or the other. Jesus says this to them, and he says it to you and I this morning. And this is very, very important. If you don't get anything else from out of this, then may it be this. And he says this, do you believe this? He's saying it to, to the 12 disciples and those other people that happen to be gathered, Martha and Mary and whoever else. But he's also speaking that forth to you and to me this morning. Do we believe this? It's the most uh, important question that anyone could ever ask another person. 
It has eternal consequences. The answer determines, and I'm telling you, the heartfelt, real, true answer has eternal consequences. Those who believe in Jesus Christ, it is the, the very central part of what we believe. We acknowledge Jesus to be not only our Savior, but our Lord. And at the time of His second coming, we will know that in ways that we can't even begin to comprehend now. You may not have even thought about this or noticed this, but Scripture never tells us whether Lazarus actually died again. I mean, did he live for another 10 days or another 2 years or 10 years or 50 years and then died? The Scripture is absolutely silent as to what happened to Lazarus after this. But our understanding is this, is, is, is what happened most likely is that he lived for a time, and then he actually did die again. And that was true of everyone that ever experienced resurrection in the Old Testament. It was a temporal thing, a, a, a temporary thing. But we understand that the resurrection coming will be the eternal thing. That those who are resurrected will never ever die again. Resurrection is not entirely a New Testament concept, even though some people seem to think that it is. From Hosea chapter 13, verse 14, I shall ransom them from the power of Sheol, from hell. I shall redeem them from death. O death, where is, are your plagues? O death, or Sheol, where is your sting? You familiar with chapter 37 in the book of Ezekiel, where life is breathed back into the dead bones? We need to understand that resurrection is not just a New Testament concept, it's an Old Testament concept as well. It becomes more clear to us in the New Testament as to what it uh, actually entails and what it is like and who it is that is resurrected. But I just want to challenge us this morning, and, and I want us to think about this in particular because we're celebrating the Lord's Supper this morning. That even though no one in this room has literally bodily experienced resurrection from the dead. That everyone here this morning who professes faith in Jesus Christ has in essence experienced a type of resurrection. And that is the resurrection of our spirit. 
In other words, the bodily resurrection is in the future, but our spiritual resurrection has already taken place. He has breathed life into that which was otherwise completely, absolutely dead. And we are gathered here this morning as a result, not of our own activity. Yeah, we had to profess faith and we had to repent and all of that, but God accomplished all of those things. He brought us to our knees that we would repent. He revealed our own sin to us. We, he revealed to us our desperate need for Christ. For that perfect sacrifice given on our behalf. That's what this is all about. This is why we remember the Lord and the Lord's Supper. Is, is we remember most clearly his death. On our behalf. But we can't ever stop there. Because just like with Lazarus, it was not the end of the story. Jesus died a horrible death for scoundrels like us. That through our faith in him that we would have eternal life. Some people think that their salvation is, has come a very great sacrifice to themselves. I gave up a bunch to become a believer. But this is a reminder this morning that when push comes to shove, we didn't give up anything. We got. We are the ones who are getting the benefit of the grace and the love and the glory of God for sinful sinners like us. You might know of a greater story ever told, but I can't think of one of myself than the story of Jesus Christ himself. There is absolutely nothing like it. It goes way beyond human understanding and way beyond human reasoning. It is, it is a gift of God. It comes from Him. By His revelation to us. And I want to remind us this morning that the, the, the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus accomplished not just one or two things. It accomplished a lot of things. And one of the biggest things is this, is it revealed to you and I the character of God himself. He's not only a holy and a righteous God, but he's a loving and caring Father who will do anything necessary for his kids. What compares? You know, very often people want to use analogies, but let me, there's no analogy. There's nothing, nothing compares to what we're talking about here. It's a symbol of a lot of things, but I want you to be reminded this morning that it's a symbol of just how important you, you in particular, where you're sitting. This is a measure of how much God loves you and how much God was willing to do to bring you to himself. Forget about everybody else. 
you. Some of you don't feel all that loved by other people. Let me just remind you this morning, you cannot question God's love for you. Because he has demonstrated it to you in a way that you can't deny it. As hard as it is to believe it, as hard as it is to understand it, it's God's truth. The praise team is going to come and lead us. Uh, in a prayer or song of preparation.